Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. And so may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> James Jones once told this parable to illustrate what the Christian gospel basically means. Imagine yourself a child an orphan. In silent moments, you long to have known your mother and father and wonder what they were like. You yearn to have loved them and to be loved by them. Although you are well cared for, you feel that you do not belong. You are rootless. One day, when on the downs, you stand watching a father and a son playing together. They are laughing and enjoying not just the game, 
but each other. The love, the energy, the fun make you all the more melancholic. You ache for a father like that father and envy the son his place in the friendship of such warmth and affection. Here for the world to see is simple giving and receiving. While watching at a distance, you wish secretly that you could join in the game and so be caught up in the father's and the son's friendship. Quite suddenly, and to your surprise, the son turns to you and makes to throw the ball towards you, to draw you into the game. In that moment, you are stunned. It is what you dreamed about. You're caught off guard. You feel embarrassed that they could read your need and longing. How do you react? Do you turn away with embarrassment? Do you reach out to catch the ball? The gospel story is about God the Father and God the Son drawing the world into their love. The Father delights in his Son. The Son delights in his Father. The love between them stands at the centre of the universe. The Father and his Son work by the Spirit to draw us orphaned onlookers into their love. So what James Jones is pointing to in that parable is that God wants us to have a relationship with him. It's the very reason he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world in human form. But it's often thought that pleasing God is a matter of a set of do's and don'ts, a kind of religious approach. And that's what Nicodemus has got himself into. But in hearing about and seeing Jesus, he feels that something is missing in his life. Now, Nicodemus is obviously a very religious man. He's called a teacher by Jesus. So he is someone who knows the scriptures and the rituals of religion. He had a high position in that society because he was part of the Jewish ruling council. This man knew about God, but did not have a personal relationship with God. And that can be true of many churchgoers today. Some years ago, a nurse wrote these words in a letter. For several years now, although I've gone to church, I've always felt there was something missing. It was only later that she found a personal faith. The late Bishop Hanley Moore described his religious life as an undergraduate. I was aware, as time went on, that my contact with the Lord, whom I saw, known and loved before my eyes, was only second-hand. Nicodemus must have had a longing for something more in his spiritual life. So he approaches Jesus to find out more from him. Perhaps he'd heard what Jesus was saying and doing, and his curiosity was piqued. 
he did mention Jesus' miracles and his teaching. He comes to Jesus at night, so under the cover of darkness. He certainly doesn't want others to know that he's approached Jesus. Most other Pharisees were strongly against Jesus and wanted to get him out of the way. Nicodemus would have had some hard questions to answer if his fellow Pharisees found out about this visit. Jesus' reply is meant to make Nicodemus think a bit harder than just looking at some things that Jesus did. Jesus talks about the need to be born again. Now, this phrase has become trivialized very often these days. Adverts even talk about born-again cars. So what does Jesus mean here? Born again means being reborn from above. Gordon Bridger writes, personal knowledge of God is possible only through spiritual rebirth. A man cannot enjoy physical life unless he's born, and neither can he enjoy spiritual life unless he is born anew. This involves receiving a new life rather than turning over a new leaf, for a man cannot save himself. He is spiritually dead until God gives him life. Without the new birth, a man can no more appreciate spiritual truths than a dead man can appreciate life, or a blind man appreciate the beauties of the sunset. This being born again is about becoming part of God's kingdom, a kingdom not based on a geographical realm, but based on where God rules. It can become established in the heart of those who turn to Christ. So how does it come about? This is where repentance comes in. Selwyn Hughes writes, where there is no struggle to face the appalling fact of inbred sin, no mourning over our stubborn commitment to independence, there will be no less subsequent joy and rapture in the soul and, and less possibility of a great change in character. Repentance, says Dr. John White, is a change way of looking at things. He defines repentance as the shock that comes from seeing reality. It's a terrible thing to claim to be a Christian and yet to live independently of the life offered to us in Christ, to relegate God to irrelevance. The full realisation of that brought about by the Holy Spirit can, says John White, be like an earthquake in the soul. Without this inner revolution, this earthquake in the soul, Nothing deep and profound happens in a person's spiritual life. Selwyn Hughes also points out that repentance is not just a once-off thing. Charles Colson expresses this well when he writes, The repentance God requires of us is not just contrition over particular sins. It's also a daily attitude a perspective. It's the process by which we see ourselves day by day as we really are, sinful, needy, dependent people. It is the process by which we see God as he is, awesome, majestic, holy, 
and it radically alters our perspective that we begin to see the world through God's eyes, not our own. Repentance is the ultimate surrender of the self. Now, Nicodemus takes all this talk of being born again in a material sense. He's still not seeing it from a spiritual perspective. So he makes this comment about not being able to enter his mother's womb a second time. Jesus goes on to say that this is something not to be grasped with the mind. It's something to be experienced. We cannot see the wind when it blows, let alone control where it goes. We can, though, see the effects of the wind as it blows leaves around. Or just lately, we saw too much of the wind's effects when it blew gales and when we saw the beast from the east arrive. The Spirit of God is not to be seen with the, spirit, with the physical eyes. We can only experience the effects of God's Spirit in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to have an interest in Christian things. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand more about him. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to live a Christian life. And that's what Paul writes about in our first reading from Romans chapter 8. Once we turn to Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, says Paul, we have an obligation, a debt. Many people certainly know about debt these days. It's easy to take out credit. Our consumer society urges us to long for more and more material goods. And we are encouraged to take out loans to pay for them. So people can easily become overwhelmed with debts. Our debt to God is not overwhelming, but it's an obligation to allow the Holy Spirit to change the way we live. To allow the Spirit to lead us away from the things that prevent us from growing closer to God. In our gospel reading, Nicodemus is still struggling with what he's heard. Jesus comments about him being a teacher to the people of Israel and yet not understanding spiritual things also shows his frustration with Israel's leaders of the time. They had worked out a comfortable religious system for themselves which they alone had the authority to study and teach. It had drifted from how God had intended it to be. So that most of them then were not able to recognize who Jesus really was. They just saw him as a troublemaker who had to be got out of the way. So Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus about his authority to talk about such things. He talks about what He has seen and known. He calls himself the son of man who has come from heaven. And he goes on to explain what his ultimate role as Messiah is. And he illustrates with an account from an incident from the Old Testament. When the people of Israel were going through the wilderness, they constantly grumbled against Moses and God. 
forgetting how they've been freed from an oppressive situation in Egypt. So as a judgment, they were plagued by venomous snakes. Many were bitten and suffered as a result. Moses prayed for them, and God instructed Moses to make a bronze snake on a pole. It was stuck in the ground in the camp so that people could look on it. They were told to look on the bronze snake, and when they were bitten, they would be healed. The people had sinned against God, and they were in danger of physical death as well as spiritual death, the spiritual death that sin caused. Jesus is making the point here that all humankind sin against God. None of us come up to the standards he intends for us by our own efforts. The gulf between humankind and God had to be repaired. Jesus came amongst us to take the weight of the wrongdoing on himself as he died on the cross. That is why he refers to himself being lifted up. It refers to what he was about to face at the cross. The last two verses of this passage describe completely why this is about to happen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Martin Luther described verse 16 as the gospel in miniature, because it contains all that's needed for salvation. It is through God's love for humankind that he didn't abandon us. Didn't abandon us to this broken relationship. God gave a gift. He sent his one and only son to put the situation right. Just as the people of Israel could be healed when they looked on the bronze snake, so all who look to Jesus on the cross will be brought into God's kingdom. Looking at Jesus on the cross just doesn't mean just gazing at a crucifix. It means believing in all that Jesus achieved there, accepting the forgiveness and new start that God holds out to us through Jesus. God did not want the world condemned. He loved his creation and his creatures too much for that. Faith is trusting in God and taking him at his word. The promise is that those who do believe in him through Jesus will have eternal life. We often think of eternal life these days as life beyond this one. But eternal life in the Bible means much more than that. It means sharing in the quality of life that the persons of the Godhead share. Someone has called it resurrection life. Jesus elsewhere refers to how he came to bring abundant life. A much better quality of life can be lived here and now by being in relationship with God through Jesus. It comes back to my original quote from James Jones, that the delight of being drawn into the love shared between God the Father and God the Son by the Holy Spirit. May we each know that delight for ourselves.
Let us pray. Almighty God, grant to us and to all Christians everywhere a new understanding of your kingdom, a new knowledge of your power, a fresh vision of your glory, and so awaken us to the reality of your presence that we may be caught up in your purposes and serve you with a burning spirit and quiet mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.